Coming up on this week's WAC podcast, we'll talk with New Mexico State Director of Athletics, Mario Mocha, see how things are at New Mexico State as we have a potential start date for basketball of November 25th. I also sat down and talked with former CBU guard Milan Aqua about what he's doing to prepare for the NBA draft, plus his dream team that he would like to go to. Yeah, we're going to find out exactly where Milan hopes to land in the NBA. We're also going to talk with Katherine Harston, the WAC SAC president, about a new initiative the SAC has put forward. That's all ahead on the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Welcome everybody to the WAC Podcast. Rachel Vigil alongside Eric Danner, both in Denver, Colorado. Eric, we've talked a lot about weather the last couple of weeks here on the podcast. It was snowing last time. It's sunny and beautiful out now. You know, I know all our, our listeners on the WAC podcast are very riveted about what the weather is like for us at the beginning of every show. But yeah, it was so unusual that we had the snow last week and we're back to the normal fall weather, which is beautiful. 70 degrees. I understand you even had a chance to go to a wedding uh, this past weekend. My cousin did get married this past weekend. So we did our first COVID wedding where you wear masks and you're all able to you know, mingle a little bit, but you kind of stay in like with your family. Uh, but yeah, I, it was a great wedding. It was beautiful out. It was nice. And I think it was 82 degrees, which is perfect. And then as soon as the sun sets, it's that beautiful fall weather and the night's a little bit chilly, but still just like the perfect temperature. And I look at the trees and I feel like all of a sudden it was like perfectly green and now they're all red and yellow. I don't even know when the transition happened. Yeah, we, we go, well, you know, it seems like we, we don't always get a good fall, but at least maybe the next couple of weeks we can enjoy it. I went to a wedding the week before, also an outdoor wedding, first COVID wedding I had gone to. It, it is different, but at the same time, seems kind of normal. I mean, you know, the dress and the, you know, the, the pomp and circumstance of a wedding, maybe not as many people as you might normally have. And, and that's starting to feel a little bit more normal. And hey, we had NFL this week too. I mean, so what was it on uh, one of the days this past week, NFL, NBA, uh, NHL, uh, we had MLS, we, we had baseball, we had, we had every single uh, major sport in the, the United States on the same day for the first time in history. Which is crazy. And you are, it's so exciting to see that your schedule is like so full all day, right? You're getting notifications of all the different teams that are continuing on if they're in the playoffs or just regular seasons, everything else is going on. We, you know, last week on the podcast, we talked about the Denver Nuggets. Here we are thinking they're going to be out of the playoffs. And now here we are forcing a game seven with the Clippers. They, they, and and uh, in game six, uh, Paul Millsap, the former WAC star when Louisiana Tech was in the WAC, uh, came up big and uh, kind of willed the Nuggets into that uh, game. Or that was, was that game five? And then they won game six. And now they're in game seven. Yeah, so that's game five. And, you know, Paul George, a former WAC player as well, playing for the Clippers. But uh yeah, a lot of excitement in the uh, NBA and, and all these sports and possible uh, excitement just around the corner for college basketball, Rach. I, I hope so, Eric. You know, the NCAA uh, Basketball Oversight Committee's recommendations start the college basketball season on November 25th. However, the NCAA Division One Council is meeting on September 16th to hopefully continue that movement forward. So possibly right around Thanksgiving, we could have some basketball going on. Yeah, and we record this show where right now it's September 14th. It will air September 15th, so that meeting is after this show airs. So hopefully when we do our show next week, Rachel, we'll have 
good news saying we have a targeted start date for NCAA basketball. And it seems like this has a lot of momentum. So, uh, and again, we talked a little bit last week about how the Pac-12 said January 1st at the earliest for everything. And now it seems like they're reconsidering some of that. You're, you're seeing where the Big Ten might be reconsidering uh, starting football. We're seeing in the state of Colorado, uh, the Colorado High School Activity Association reconsidering starting football in the fall as well. So with things getting better on the COVID side, it seems that there's a better possibility of things opening up. I think for a lot of committees, you know, it was let's see how maybe a few other schools um, can do this and move forward. And now we're seeing that it, it can't be successful in most aspects. So now it's like, well, why not include our uh, students? And even if it's shortened schedule or uh, what that will look like. I hate to be the Debbie Downer, though. But of course, with flu season coming up in the yeah. winter and like the fall, that's when I just wonder how will that have, like work with COVID if there's no vaccine by then. But I'm going to not be a negative Nancy, but I just want to put out that point. Well, and we have seen uh, of the college football teams that have come back, we have seen some postponements because of some COVID outbreaks. So that's going to be a factor in all of this as well. And uh, last week, Rachel, uh, Coach K and the ACC basketball coaches came out with this. Uh, some people think it's kind of a crazy idea where every team in Division One would be a part of the NCAA tournament. 346 teams. I'm not sure how many games in the brackets that would be. Uh, kind of an interesting idea with that. But, uh, you know, we always talk about every week about could we do this? Could we do a bubble? Could we do something else? And it's just the logistics of everything just seems so difficult. But an interesting idea nonetheless. An interesting idea. And for me, I think there would be some more upsets maybe early on, you know, some bigger teams may not think so much of maybe some smaller schools and you can come out and play your best game. And, you know, you could knock out a big team there. So I, I actually think the idea would be really cool. I know the logistics of it probably happening are very slim just because of how hard that would be. But thinking about the actual idea, I think that there could be some major upsets there. Well, not to go full uh, Uncle Rico on you here, Rach, uh, but uh, back when I was in high school, uh, my senior year, we were in a league with seven teams and two teams from our league would get to go to regionals back then. And we were the third best team in the league. We had been ranked number, you know, in the top 10 uh, during the course of the year, but uh, we had a team in the top five and the number one ranked team in the state all year. And we did not get to go to the regionals. And those two teams wound up going to the state championship game. Now, a few years later, the athletic director from my school put forward an idea to have the 64 team type bracket because back then it was only 32 and use that for high school basketball in the state of Colorado. They later adopted that basically because of what happened to my team, if you want to boil it down to that. So you hate to see really good teams not get an opportunity uh, to play in the NCAA tournament. And like you said, you could see maybe some teams get taken lightly in a situation like this where they, uh, they could win some games, but then you also might have the, the flip side of that, Rach, where maybe two teams that are really good wind up playing each other a lot earlier than they should, as we've seen in the NCAA tournament before. Definitely. I think there's so many possibilities for what that bracket could possibly look like. But my like, so would they just do a different read, like in different regions? Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the logistics of it, I'm sure, are really like difficult of planning. So I just picture it, what it looked like you know, the round of 32 when they're all in like different areas and then they all come to closer together. I don't know. I just, I don't know how it would work, but I definitely think the idea is interesting. I think it would 
I mean, it fits with 2020. <laughs> like, it would just totally fit within this year. <laughs> oh, and at that time, I guess it would be 2021 by the time we get to the tournament. And That's we did true. talk with Mario Mocha, the New Mexico State Athletic Director, about this topic. And he gives his thoughts. And uh, he didn't sound like um, he, he thought it was uh, too realistic. But, uh, yeah, you know, just a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, our fans can hear that in the next segment. It was a good conversation with Mario as well, just talking about everything New Mexico State. So fans, make sure to listen into that part. And you also want to listen to the final segment of the show, which is your interview with Milan Aqua that you did last week. The CBU, uh, former CBU basketball player is getting ready for the NBA draft, Rachel, which I think is only about a month away. I think October 16th was the target deadline for the NBA draft this year. And Milan has once again put his name in the hat uh, to be drafted, and what what kind of information did you get from Milan in that interview? First of all, Eric, it's so funny because we've been doing this podcast weekly, and I feel like we were talking about the draft in October, and it seems so far away, and now we're only a month away. That, like, blows my mind as you say that. Uh, but my conversation with Milan was great. He, he's so nice and so kind, and obviously we want to see him continue to move forward in his career. Talked a little bit about what his training is looking like now. Uh, I asked what one of his favorite workouts is, and he just loves to be able to shoot the ball. He says it really doesn't matter. He just likes to be able to shoot the ball. And any opportunity, I also asked, like, who would he want to go play for? Uh, and he gave me a very, very interesting name. So it's not surprising, I don't think, but it would definitely be a cool opportunity for Milan Aqua to be playing for that team. I won't say it because I want fans to go listen, but definitely a, a good team there for sure. Yeah, you, you have to listen in on that. And I thought that was very interesting, Rachel, because nine times out of 10, you ask that question, the answer you're going to get is, well, I just want to play in the NBA. I'll take you know whatever team wants to draft me. And he actually gave, I, th- I think he gave two or three different uh, possibilities, but there was one team, yeah, he did mention specifically. So uh, you have to look out for that in uh, segment three. Uh, Professional Swim League, Rachel, I I was not aware that this existed. And we just had one of our our best swimmers in the last three, four, five years uh, from Grand Canyon, Mark Nikolaev, uh, signed with the Professional Swim League in the United States. Yep, there are tons of uh, different teams, actually. It's not really, it's not like the NBA, not like the MLS, not like the NFL, but there are definitely professional um, swim teams out there. It's great for Mark Nikolaev to be signed, uh, incredible backstroker that he is. And, and you know, he's competed nationally, uh, oversees everything. So it's really exciting for him to continue on with that career and just keep moving forward. Hopefully his times continue to drop too. So I, I already can't imagine how fast he can swim and like, as a former swimmer, thinking about like going up next to him, he would absolutely lap me by like four laps. But um, just for the fact for him to sign again and continue moving, it's really great. Yeah, he finished third in the NCAA a couple years ago in the backstroke, and he's going to be swimming in the ISL, the International Swimming League for the D.C. Tridents out of uh, Washington, D.C. So congratulations to Mark Nikolaev on uh, landing on a pro team. Yes, congratulations are definitely in order. And then speaking of swimming, we're going to talk to Kat Harston, a New Mexico State swimmer who you had on WAC All Access not too long ago. She's our WAC SAC president. She's going to talk to us about a new WAC voter awareness program when we come back on the WAC podcast. Welcome back to the WAC podcast. Eric Danner, Rachel V. Hill. We're now talking with Kat Harston, the WAC SAC president who is a swimmer at New Mexico State University. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. 
How, how are things going last... in uh, New Mexico, st- in, at New Mexico State? Um, It's been pretty good so far. You know, the beginning of the semester has started off, and we're just trucking away now. What's the weather like down in Las Cruces? I don't know if you heard, but here in Colorado, we got snow last <laughs> week, so is it so hot down there? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, right when I got down here, it was up in the hundreds every day, but we've kind of had a little bit of a cold front coming through. So today it's only 80, which is a blessing. (laughs) So Kat is the WAC SAC president. So that's the student athlete advisory committee. And they talk about issues. uh, Every school has as representatives. And one of the big things you wanted to do this year, Kat, as the president, uh, you've started up this uh, WAC votes initiative. What is that? And uh, what's the idea behind it? So the WAC Voter Awareness Initiative is really just a way for student athletes to become educated on what voting is um, and then how to go about doing it with registration as well as sending in um, absentee ballots or mail-in ballots or even going to the polls themselves. Um, We really wanted to make sure that not only were we getting student athletes to Um, civically engage in the act of voting, but we wanted them to have an understanding of what it was and what it means to be able to vote. Um, So we kind of incorporated all of those things together to create our awareness initiative. What are some of the challenges that student athletes face when it comes to voting? I mean, one of the, one example is you're from Colorado, but obviously you're down in New Mexico. So how do those different scenarios limit you maybe from voting? Yes. Um, So that's actually one of the very first things that we all talked about um, when we wanted to begin doing this initiative was we had to understand that the majority of student athletes um, who go to the schools that they do are not necessarily always in um, the state that they grew up in. And so I um, am from Denver, Colorado, and so I'm registered to vote in Colorado, but I live down in Las Cruces right now because I'm at New Mexico State. So what I have to do is I have to have an absentee ballot sent down to New Mexico. I fill it out, and then I send it back to the county that I live in in Colorado. Um, so that was one of the huge educational pieces that we tried to hit on was how student-athletes can go about voting when um, – we have like kind of this almost crisis of the fact that we're not in areas where we can physically go in to vote. Talking with Kat Harston, the WACSAC president. And Kat, the other thing would be, I mean, you're talking about student athletes generally uh, between 18 and 22 years old. This is probably the first time many of them would be voting and maybe they weren't aware of, you know, how to get an absentee ballot or, or how the voting process works. Is that right? Yes, um, we definitely made sure that um, that was another main point that we hit on in the educational aspect of this initiative is we wanted student athletes to know what it meant to be a voter. Um, my, I myself, it is my first time actually being able to vote in an election. So I wanted to have the basic understanding um, from a nonpartisan point of view So um, obviously with social media and some of the injustice going on right now, some of those things are harder to find than others. Um, But I think that the WAC um, has worked with our SAC group really well to find those nonpartisan resources to really educate us on what voting is, how voting works, and why we should be doing it. How have you seen the SAC members take the initiative with these ideas and run with them? 
Um, that's actually a really great question. We have all made sure to stay in contact with one another, um, even when we don't have our video conferences, and to make sure that each institution is doing something. We're not all doing the same thing to be promoting voter awareness on our campuses itself, but we are making sure that all of us are able to do something on our campus in order to make sure that there is the promotion from the WACSAC point of view, as well as an institutional point of view. And we've kind of all tried to piggyback off of each other um, to implement these things on our campus. And we've seen this all over the WAC social media. Randy Ward doing a great job uh, getting that message out there. And it doesn't take much to find out if you're registered to vote. Was that part of the idea, Kat? Yes. So on the WAC um, webpage, you can go to um, the voter link. It's right on the main page. And when you go to the link, um, it pops up and they have done a really great job of making sure that each state that is represented in the Western Athletic Conference has a little picture of their state flag. Um, you can click on it and it'll take you right to where you need to be online um, to register to vote for your state, um, as well as an American option flag, which is going to allow you to choose the state in which you want to register to vote in, if that isn't one of the states that our nine institutions represent, um, so that you can also be registered to vote in there as well. Pat, you mentioned earlier that this will be your first time getting to vote. I remember my first time and how excited I was. So how excited are you? You know, I think that this entire experience was super liberating to be able to see student athletes wanting to have some form of civil engagement. And I really took that to heart. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that I understood myself what it meant to be a voter. Um, and so I really am super excited to be able to cast out my vote this year and be able, be able to be a part of um, the process because it's so important um, and it's a priority because it allows us to voice why we believe that voting matters. And this is obviously a huge election year with the presidential race. Uh, will this campaign, this WAC Votes campaign, do you anticipate this continuing on even when it's uh, not a presidential or or maybe a Senate election, those type of things? Um, yes. So the WACSAC put this um, recommendation and this initiative forward for this year, um, and we are continuously working on making a recommendation that falls in line with Division One SAC um, recommendations to make November 3rd uh, or Election Day um, for presidential elections as a mandatory day off from practice um, and possibly future competition as well. Um, that one is a little bit harder and we have to look really far into the future for that one, but um, that's the whole reason that we're doing it now because we want this to be something that is implemented for the future. How did that idea come about? Um, I believe that this summer, uh, one of the main topics that we really focused on was the fact that there's a lot of things that people do or don't agree with that are happening um, in our world right now and that are confusing. Um, and so we wanted to find a way to allow people to have a voice. And one of those ways, um, fortunately, this year was to be able to vote.
Um, and so I think that that was kind of the main stretch or the main reason why we wanted to do this. Um, and we saw other conferences beginning to put forward initiatives for themselves. And we realized that it's not just important for um, us as student athletes, but it's important for us as individuals as well. Well, Kat, we want to thank you for taking some time out and uh, letting us know about this WAC Votes initiative. And hopefully uh, you'll be getting back in the pool soon. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be seeing you uh, competing. And, and we can't wait uh, until we get back to action. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, go check out the WACSAC page. All right, that is Kat Harston from New Mexico State University. Coming up next, we'll talk to the director of athletics for the Aggies. His name is Mario Mocha. We had a very insightful conversation with him. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. We are now joined by Mario Mocha, the director of athletics at New Mexico State University. Mario, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Eric and Rachel. Thanks for having me, and uh, hope you guys aren't dealing with too much snow up there in Denver, <laughs> Colorado. You know, it's September. Uh, Rachel's lived here all her life. I've lived here most of my life. I don't remember it snowing this early. They say it has, but, uh, you know, we, we, we have to deal with it. We live in Colorado, so we, we know it's part of the deal, but uh, hopefully things are, are well in Las Cruces, Mario, we have to ask this as we start every conversation, as we talk to people around the league, how are things in Las Cruces? How are things on campus? Uh, what kind of precautions are, are being taken? Do you have all the students, are, are they they back doing normal things or or how is it there? Sure, well, you know, I thought you were gonna ask me about the weather. It's it's in the 50s here, so that means people are running to Walmart for batteries and, and bottled <laughs> water. You know, we're not used to that kind of temperature drop out here. But no, things are going well. You know, New Mexico State University, uh, like other universities, decided to do a hybrid model um, uh, with on-campus learning. So, you know, we have in-classroom, uh, we have uh, online options available. Uh, and right now, it seems to be uh, going fairly well. Um, you know, from a student-athlete standpoint, obviously, um, you know, our, not only our WAC sports, but our football program, uh, is postponed. We hope to play in the spring. And, you know, we have started uh, to test our student athletes, uh, a quarter of them, 25% each week. So, you know, we tested uh, on August 26. We had 53 uh, total tests. We had 52 negatives, one positive. Uh, on 9 uh, September 4th, uh, we did another round, I think uh, 57. I believe we had 56 negatives, one positive. So, when you do the math, we're under that 2%. So we feel pretty good about things um, from a COVID-19 testing standpoint. We know that we'll need to get those results in quicker as uh, competition uh, gets a little closer. But, um, you know, right now all the coaches and the student athletes are kind of itching to find out, um, you know, what competition is going to look like in the spring. And they're very, um, you know, they're all kind of raring to go. So, um, you know, we're trying to be as cautious as we can. But at the same time, I think our student athletes are, um, are pretty fired up to get started. How are the student athletes handling all the testing procedures? You know, fairly well. I mean, we just had a discussion with some of the coaches. You know, nobody loves to have that swab jammed up their schnozzola. I mean, I didn't enjoy it. 
And after the guy said, man, you know, your nasal cavity is kind of curved. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make me feel any better. Buddy. I mean, <laughs> I think you, you stimulated some memories from like second grade for me. You put it up there so far. But uh, the reality is, um, you know, it just has to be done. We have a testing lab that's going to be coming online on campus. So that should help. And I know that they're talking about, you know, having less invasive testing as well, whether that's saliva or maybe you know, not in your brain pan and just in your nostril. Uh, so, you know, we're anxiously awaiting some uh, um, less invasive, quicker testing procedures. And they seem to be on the horizon, um, you know, with following the national landscape. So hopefully we'll, that'll get to Las Cruces pretty soon as well. Mario, a story came out recently that the NCAA was, was looking at November 25th as a potential start date for basketball week of uh, Thanksgiving, pushes it back a couple of weeks. Uh, what does that mean for you and Coach Jans, Coach Atkinson, in terms of uh, trying to get a schedule together for the upcoming season? Well, you know, scheduling is hard in Las Cruces at New Mexico State anyway. I mean, uh, we know that uh, we're geographically challenged. That's one big thing. We also know on the men's side, we've got the nation's longest winning streak. That doesn't help either. People aren't, you know, tripping over themselves to, to get over here to play in, in the Pan American Center. Uh, but I know that the coaching staff and Coach Jans are, you know, working to create that men's schedule. I think the women's schedule is, is very, very far along. So, um, you know, one of the things that we have to focus on, much like everybody else, is our buy games. You know, we play two of those a year. That certainly helps with the overall budget. And it helps for some things specifically for men's basketball. Um, we know those monies will probably be a little less this year, but we're still trying to see what's out there. The other thing that's kind of unique to New Mexico State is, you know, we have two games every year with UTEP and two games every year with UNM. And those are our huge rivalry games. And typically those are at the beginning of the season. So if there's a pushback, uh, from November 10th and November 25th. We'll certainly have to alter those games. Uh, but, you know, we're kind of hell-bent on making sure we play those four games because our fans, as much as they look forward to the WAC and the ability to win a WAC championship, boy, those are games for bragging rights for the state and the region. Uh, so those are critically important as well. So we're, we're anxiously awaiting to see what the start date is. And then, you know, we'll look forward to those games first and foremost. And then, you know, hopefully we'll still be able to play that uh, kind of made-for-TV game against UNI uh, up in South Dakota, Northern Illinois, or sorry, Northern Iowa, uh, will be a great game with a, a top-tier top uh, Missouri Valley Conference team. Things are changing every single day, even every hour. Are there a chance that fans could be in the stands at New Mexico State? Yeah, you know, our state has been uh, very conservative from a fan standpoint, from a a mask wearing standpoint from a community standpoint, you know, if we were to play a game right now, um, you know, in September, I don't think we'd be looking at having fans in the stands. You know, we have a professional soccer team in Albuquerque and I know they're getting ready for a home match. So I'm anxiously waiting to see what they do, but I know it's being advised that they don't have fans. Certainly in late November, I hope that changes. Um, you know, while we have a, a really good fan base, um, I think, the one thing that's beneficial is that the Pan American Center holds 12,600, you know, seats. So we would be able to socially distance people. Just depends if our fans who are paying top dollar are going to want to be socially distanced away from the court, or will they just be happy to be in the building? So um, 
you know, those things we're monitoring, they change on a regular basis, but uh, you know, that's why I, I'm okay with a, with a little bit later start time, because I think that gives us a better chance to have more uh, fans in the stands. We're talking with Mario Mocha, the director of athletics at New Mexico State University. Mario, Mario, a story came out recently that the ACC basketball coaches are floating the idea of a 346-team NCAA tournament. Obviously, we, Rachel and I have been talking about this for six months. Kind of everything's been put on the table over the last six months between bubbles and, and different ideas. Any thoughts on this uh, possibility of having every single team in the tournament this year? Well, you know, I've obviously seen those reports, um, you know, in speaking, you know, we just had our, our WAC administrators meeting. We have a member um, of our group who's on the council. Um, you know, she indicated that wasn't really brought up. You know, that seems to be a one league driven thing. And then there's a lot of people chiming in on that. Um, you know, gee whiz, the money is so tight these days. I don't know what format they're talking it would look like, but for the NCA to spring for, uh, that seems to be a little unrealistic uh, at the time. Also, you know, teams that are looking to save money. I don't know if, you know, the teams that are 300 to 355 on the RPI are interested in, you know, I think it sounds great. Hey, we'll all be in the tournament, but there's costs associated with those individual schools as well as the NCA as an organization. And with the NCA having uh, furloughs and things like that, I just don't see how it works from a financial standpoint, but just like anything else in the time of COVID-19, you know, everybody's putting everything on the table for discussion. But if you're asking me personally, I don't see how it works. Um, I kind of am a little bit of a traditionalist and um, we'll, just like you guys, we'll see what happens. 2020 has brought the passing of former men's basketball coach Lou Henson. What did he mean to the uh, Aggies athletic department? Yeah, you know, an iconic figure, and a lot of people know him as the Aggie head coach, but, you know, uh, he is unbelievably well-known in the city and in the state. You know, I've been saying this, um, you know, I go around and speak and talk to groups. I mean, name me 10 more influential, kind, well-known uh, individuals in the history of our state since 1912, and Lou Henson's got to be in your top 10. You know, he... Uh, started coaching at Las Cruces High School, won several state championships. Uh, then he was the head coach at Hardin-Simmons. And a lot of people don't realize that as a point of him taking the job, he insisted that the basketball team be desegregated. Um, he was big on that. He also brought in the first Hispanic coach in the history of the program. And then he came here and uh, put us on the map in short order, uh, Final Four appearance in 1970 and a lot of other NCA appearances then goes to Illinois and takes the flying Illini to the final four so while he's in the college basketball hall of fame you know there's a push to get him in the national basketball hall of fame I know that those efforts are ongoing um, with us and with Illinois we've been in contact with them that's the basketball piece you know the human pieces there is not a more well-respected nice kind individual I got to know Lou um, you know, when I, when I accepted the job, I was the athletic director at Southern Illinois University, and we had a legendary baseball coach, went to many college World Series, uh, Richard Itchy Jones, and then he went up to Illinois, and he was really good friends with Lou. So Lou and I talked before I ever got to Las Cruces, and, you know, just a quick story, uh, I pull in on a Saturday night, January the 3rd, 
snuck into an Aggie basketball game. We beat Cal Irvine in a last second shot. And Sunday I was over at coach's house. Well, when my family moved in, you know, the kids were much smaller and Mary, his wife insisted that we do not live in student housing, that we live in their house. So Lou, you know, I had to register our oldest for school and Lou and, and the neighbor said, well, you've got to have a formal agreement. So as, um, we were signing this. He goes, well, Lou, you have to charge him for something. And he says, okay, well, I'll charge him a dollar. And uh, I looked at coach. I said, well, coach, we haven't had a chance to negotiate this. And he just said, Mario, sign the paper right here. Uh, but the reality is when we got in trouble in the mid nineties, it was coach Henson that came back to coach us for a dollar because he knew how much we were hurting. And he took that team in short order to an NCAA tournament. So um, Lou means more or less everything to our athletic program. You know, he's the architect of the single greatest moment in the history of our sports programs. But what he means to the university and the state is also, uh, un, uh, you know, immeasurable. And it was great that we could have the 1970 Final Four reunion last year. And while Coach was unable to travel, he was able to communicate with the guys. He sent a video message and he was able to see uh, the games and all the video uh, feedback from his players to him. So I'm just very thankful that we were able to do that while coach was alive. Yeah. The 50 year anniversary of that final four team and definitely coach Henson deserves to be in the Naismith hall of fame. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Uh, one of the stories we had Russ Bradbird on after the passing of, of coach Henson, who of course served on his staff. And he, he had a great story about how coach Henson helped pick up trash after games. Did, did you see some of that kind of thing too? Yeah, coach, you know, the funny thing is, you know, here's your iconic coach and, um, you know, he would just come around, we'd go to lunch, um, he'd play bridge, he would, you know, um, he was just the, the most, um, boy, the, the word's escaping me, but um, to have the success he had and to had, have as low key of a profile when he'd come to games was just staggering. And uh, same way with his wife, Mary, um, you know, the, the, uh, the first lady of uh, Aggie basketball forever, just very kind, nice human being. So I look forward for Mary to get back here. You know, they split a home in Las Cruces as well as uh, Champagne. So we hope she can come back here soon, but we've been in regular contact with her. And yeah, the stories that came out uh, from Coach Henson's uh, life, whether it's here, Illinois, are, are pretty much legendary, especially the ones with Bobby Knight. <laughs> Last time we had you on Whack All Access, you were sporting a Pascal Siakam jersey. Have you been able to watch the NBA playoffs this year? Yeah, I certainly watch when, uh, you know, when you have a student athlete, um, you know, in the NBA or Nick Gonzalez, you know, with Major League Baseball or, um, you know, Jason Huntley, he was released by the Lions, picked up immediately by the Eagles. Um, you certainly watch, but, you know, I, you know, all of Las Cruces is unbelievably proud of, Pascal, what he's been able to do, and, and hopefully he'll be able to put the team on his back and, and take them as far as they, they went last year. Yeah, Pascal has had a, a tremendous season. He's an all-star this year, NBA champion last year. Did you see this coming when you were watching him play, that he was going to be this kind of a star in the NBA? Well, I don't think anybody would forecast it. And Truth be told, when he declared, I thought, boy, you know, Pascal's got a shot, but I really thought one more year – would have done him well. So that shows you how much the athletic director knows. Uh, <laughs> but I will tell you this, we were playing uh, UTEP his sophomore year. And um, 
there was a sequence where um, he had a block shot and then he had a thunderous dunk on the other end and the ball came back to our end and the next possession, he pulled up for a three, which he didn't do a whole lot of. And his release was phenomenal. I mean, the rotation and it caught nothing but net. And I was like, okay, I've seen this before. And you know what it actually reminded me when I was working for the Lobos way back when, and I saw Keith Van Horn and he just had that thing where he had a, he had a, he had a half court, you know, alley-oop dunk. And then he hit a three pointer with uh, Kenny Thomas right in his face. And you're like, wow, that guy's a star. So it really gave me the deja vu. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you see somebody, you're like, wow, that's uh, higher level stuff that they're doing on the court right now. And, and that was my Pascal can make it in the NBA moment. My question, I guess, now is who do you see winning the NBA finals down in the bubble? Wow, that's a tough one. You know, I don't, my son's got knocked out. You know, they're famously in close to last place and they go on this historic bubble run and then they don't make it. So I pretty much, I'm, the, I'm your quintessential fan. I'm like, I'll, I'll just tune in next year. Boy, uh, and as much as I, it would, it would break my heart to have the Lakers win it, but uh, it looks like I would say they're, they're probably the odds on favorite. Can never bet against LeBron. Yeah, well, and the Clippers look pretty good against the Nuggets too. We, we Rachel and I are Nuggets fans and uh, not looking too good for them right now. Well, you know, you guys are up there. I thought it was very interesting. You had uh, the Utah Jazz head coach by Quinn Snyder playing against the Denver Nuggets owned by one Josh Kroenke, who was a former player of Quinn Snyder. So that was a little uh, storyline that I don't think got a whole lot of publicity. Maybe it did up in Denver, but uh, I thought that was a, an interesting pairing of those two teams. Well, keeping it in professional sports, Nick Gonzalez was the seventh overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're a former uh, student athlete at New Mexico State, played baseball there, so I know you're a big baseball guy. Kind of along the same lines as Pascal, did you see this coming with Nick Gonzalez, that, that he would be the highest ever draft pick in New Mexico State history? You know, I didn't see the first round draft pick uh, at all. Um, I will tell you, though, whether it's Daniel Johnson, uh, you know, who made his major league debut with the Indians. So we've had, um, you know, some really good uh, players come through. Nick, obviously, was at a different level. And when uh, he went to the Cape Cod League and was the MVP, you know, it kind of blew up. And an interesting story is uh, before the Cape Cod League, I got a call from Elliot Avent, who was my coach at New Mexico State, who was the NC State head coach. And uh, he was also Team USA's coach. And he said, hey, we're doing our roster. What do you think about Nick Gonzalez? Can he play? Can, you know, should we take him? And I'm like, well, you know, he's, he's great here. I mean, I don't know what your personnel is, but I give him my ring endorsement. Well, they didn't take him. He goes to the Cape Cod League. He's the MVP. And then Avant calls me back and says, well, why didn't you be more forceful with me taking him? So, you know, and then he came back and he just blew up. Um, one of my old, old Little League buddies is a big wig with the Marlins. And he flew in from uh, the San Francisco area. And he says, hey, man, he goes, um, everybody's talking about this kid. And he goes, we have the third overall pick. I don't think it would take him that high. But that just shows you how high of consideration he was. And for him to be picked uh, seventh overall is tremendous for the program. And, um, you know, we're, we're very excited. And it seems like um, 
you know, he could, he could elevate uh, to the big leagues, maybe even this year. I'd love to see him get some at bats. I don't think, um, you know, you always don't want to throw somebody in over their head, but knowing Nick, you know, even if he doesn't have great success, it's not going to rattle his confidence. So I'd love to see him get a shot at the end of the year. Well, Mara, you're a star all on your own now. You're doing a weekly podcast with Adam Young over at New Mexico State. How much have you enjoyed doing this podcast? Well, I tell you one thing. Uh, during the time of COVID, when there's a million questions and um, you know we don't have competition, I-, I thought it was critical to really solicit any and all questions from our fan base. You know, whether they're whimsical, whether they're serious, whether they're kind of uh, out in left field. I think it was important just to, you know, because you don't have that regular connection when we're at home and things like that. So just soliciting questions, whether it's via Facebook or Twitter or, you know, what have you, um, I think it's been great to be able to connect with the fans. And as you guys know, Adam Young does great work. You know, he's doing a coach's corner with Chris Jans. He interviews all of our student athletes. So our philosophy was, hey, let's just flood everybody with as much media stuff on our student athletes and departmental stuff as we can um, until we get on the field and, and let's, let's throw our energies into that. So I've been very pleased with, uh, you know, all the work that Adam has done. Yeah, when we first started our podcast, first phone call I made was to Adam and picked his brain about exactly how he was uh, doing all these podcasts, call him the pod father of the Western Athletic Conference <laughs> at this point with, was he got four or five podcasts going now? Yeah, no, he, uh, you know, Adam uh, works for us in the department a little bit. He also works for a multimedia rights holder, uh, Learfield. So yeah, he's, he's probably the busiest guy in during the pandemic, at least at New Mexico State. Uh, so yeah, he's doing a, he's doing a lot of different things. And uh, while it, nothing can replicate, you know, competition and seeing everybody on a regular basis, uh, you know, we're trying to fill the void as, as best as we can. You mentioned fans sending in questions. What's been the funniest question that you've got? Uh, I tell you what, the, just the, this last podcast, they're like, hey, is Chris Jans your best coaching hire? And I'm like, well, come on, man, I can't answer that. I mean, I've <laughs> hired like, I don't know, 11 or 15 hit coaches, uh, you know, in my tenure. Maybe it's more, maybe it's 20. And I said, and Chris Jans is listening to this, so there's no way I'm going to automatically put him at number one. But I said, yeah, he's probably number one. So, yeah, you, you get all different kind of questions. So it's, it's good. You know, we've even, uh, as much as Adam doesn't love going on our fan chat board, I found myself with a little time. I, I think it's interesting uh, just to see what the fan, I know that might be a little bit of a fringe, but uh, we've tried to solicit questions from there as well. So we might get a little more off the wall from there. But uh, we've, been, we've been trying to uh, uh, use every stream we can to uh, solicit any questions that the Aggie faithful will have. Talking with Mario Mocha from New Mexico State. You mentioned earlier, Mario, you have football, uh, Division I FBS level. Uh, we have two other schools in the WAC, in the Dixie and Tarleton with football now as well. You mentioned possibly playing in the, in the spring as a Division I independent. Uh, what, what, what is that looking like? Obviously, Pac-12, as mentioned, they might start a little bit earlier or, or start before the spring. Uh, imagine you have to monitor all kinds of different things with football this year. Yeah, that's been its own animal. You know, um, we had a lot of issues. Obviously, you had the COVID and the testing issue. You know, we certainly had the scheduling issue as an independent. You know, we got to the point where we were down 
uh, to only four games, but we still could have, you know, built up a schedule and competed. I think the big thing was, you know, the state of New Mexico had a travel ban or travel quarantine for 14 days. And that really, in effect, shut everything down for us, the possibility of playing um, in the fall. You know, we were really hopeful that we would kind of lock arms with New Mexico and once the mountain went and, you know, make a pitch to the governor or the, the state of New Mexico to see if there was some kind of exemption. But once the Mountain West postponed their fall, that kind of sunk us. So now we turn to the spring. You know, um, I, I have a hard time thinking we're going to play 8, 10, 12 games in the spring and then turn around and play, uh, you know, late August, early September and start the fall football season. That just doesn't seem um, like from a health and safety standpoint to the student athlete, that that's, that's the right thing to do. Uh, I've talked to our head coach, Doug Martin, about maybe doing like a, a four or six game spring. That certainly allows our student athletes to compete. Uh, we know that they'll all retain their eligibility. I think it gives you, and the, or I should say, it gives the coaching staff a great opportunity to take a good look at uh, players from a personnel standpoint. Um, you know, you can sell some tickets, hopefully have the band out there. Um, so right now, you know, I have talked to Tarleton. I've talked to Dixie. Uh, we've talked to UMass. We've talked to UConn. Um, we don't know what the NCA is going to say from a time parameter standpoint. Uh, but I would anticipate the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the MAC, and the Mountain West playing a conference-only schedule. But at the same time, I don't know that. I'm sure New Mexico would love to play us um, just because that generates many more fans for them than playing like a San Jose or a Hawaii. Um, same with UTEP. I mean, obviously, they're playing uh, in, the, uh, in the fall. But if they get some games canceled, is there a possibility of spring? So there's a million different questions. But for us, we're targeting playing some games in the spring. We're just waiting for some more information from uh, – uh, the NCA from a from a time parameter standpoint, and then we'll look to set our schedule. Mario, I know you just had a birthday. Happy late birthday! And you decided to do a food drive to celebrate. What was the idea behind that? You know what? Uh, our like I said, our marketing. So we work very closely with this uh, organization called the Aggie Cupboard. So a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of people think food pantries are you know for the community members, things like that. There's a lot of needy students as well. So um, there is a food pantry on campus called the Aggie Cupboard, and we've done things around uh, men's basketball games and other uh, Olympic sports to, you know, bring a canned food and we get it to them. So our marketing department, uh, you know, Nicole Sachs said, hey, let's do this. Um, we'll get some eyeballs. And I can't tell you how many, it was really just for the staff, you know, so they're driving by in cars and dropping off food and I'm over there, you know, in my throne which was really just a regular chair waving to the masses. And um, I had so many community members. Why didn't you tell me you were doing this? We would have dropped off food. So um, we'll have to uh, um, spread it out. But I thought it was a nice thing that, um, but I give all the credit to our marketing department. And they generated these two huge bins of food uh, for the Aggie uh, cupboard. So that was a really, I think, a, a nice win-win. Well, Mario, happy belated birthday, and thank you for taking some time out and joining us on the WAC podcast. Yeah, and I know Rachel thinks that I took some of that Nutella and peanut butter, but I did not. Okay, I did not. They even said you could take one food item. I thought that would be bad karma. So every bit went to the Aggie cupboard, Rachel, because I know this is like 60 minutes. You're going to put me on the spot. Good to know. Good to know, Mario. Thanks. Keep that in mind. <laughs>
And coming up next, we're going to have Rachel's conversation with Milan Aqua as he gets ready for the NBA draft. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner along with Rachel Vigil. Rachel, you had a chance to talk with Milan Aqua, the reigning WAC Player of the Year as he gets ready for the NBA Draft. I had a chance to talk with Milan about what it was like winning those big awards, what award meant the most to him, what he's doing to prepare for the NBA draft, plus where he wants to go and which team he would want to land with. Of course, he wants to go play anywhere in the NBA, but there were a few names that he'd give. Check it out. Milan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Doing very well. Good. So are you still in Riverside? Uh, no. I'm currently in um, like Pasadena, Glendale area. Okay, very nice. Yeah. How's the weather out there? I was just telling everybody on the live that it was snowing earlier in Colorado. Uh, it's it's pretty nice right now. I mean, it's been hot the last couple of days, extremely hot. But other than that, it's been nice weather. Good. And I know you had class before this. So what are you studying? Uh, I'm majoring in business administration. Okay, so I'm assuming basketball is the way you want to have your career go. But if it wouldn't work out, what would you want to do uh, afterwards? Um, I plan on like starting a couple different businesses. Um, one being like a, a clothing line. Um, and then I want to start like a business and open a couple of facilities that are able to, um, help train kids and get them prepared for different levels. Um, whether it be physically, um, or skill wise. Um, so yeah, just, um, definitely some type of like training facility and, um, just different type of business avenues. Nice. What made you want to decide to open that up? Um, I just felt like with uh, being a basketball player, you're gonna I'll, I'll be um, able to invest and put my money into different areas um, once my career is over with, or even while I'm still playing. So I just felt like business would be a broad spectrum and allow me to um, branch out into different different avenues. Nice. I saw someone just comment and said, inspire the youth, which is great. Let's get back to basketball now. I want to talk about your favorite memories at CBU. If you had to pick one, you obviously won WAC Player of the Year. You were Lou Henson All-American. What award means the most to you? Um, really, uh, I mean, the, the biggest award for me was the WAC Player of the Year. Um, but to me, it was more us coming in second, our second year as a Division One team. Um, nobody really expected us to really make those jumps and, and be successful right away. So that was a huge deal for me. Um, and then just the success we had throughout the two year, my two years there. What was your favorite memory maybe with CBU then? Um, with CBU, uh, I would say getting our first win and the way that we did it, um, off that half court buzzer beater, um, just the, the fact that we were able to go into that environment and get the, the W and on the road and everything. So, Who was your biggest matchup, would you say, like your favorite matchup? Um, in the conference or you just? Uh, let's do the conference first and then we can go non-conference. Um, probably uh, 
probably um, Tough Terrell, one. Terrell Brown from Seattle. What about just like school matchup? Who was your where where was your favorite place to play, or who was your favorite team to have come to CBU? Um, either New Mexico State or GCU. Um, okay. New Mexico, probably New Mexico State, though, just as far as the competition level and how good they were and how tough they made it on on every team they played. So nice. I know you're preparing for the NBA draft. So last year, you also decided to put your name in for the draft and then withdrew it. I'm assuming you did that to get feedback as for this year. So what feedback did you get? Sorry, can you repeat that question one more time? Um, uh, I know you put your name in for the NBA draft last year, then withdrew your name. I'm assuming you did that so you could get feedback uh, to move forward in your career. What feedback did you get last year? Um, last year, they were just telling me about my playmaking ability, um, just to, to improve my overall assist numbers and um, my assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, and then just, you know, just making plays for my teammates. Um, so that was something that I really focused on in the off season and tried to improve on. And how are you training right now for the NBA draft? Um, just, you know, the same way I would train for any, any other time, um, waking up, getting, getting shots up, uh, getting in the weight room, maintaining my body, um, just trying to make sure that I stay healthy and, you know, continue to improve along the way. So what does a typical workout look like for Milan Aqua? Man, it depends. Um, sometimes I could be in there for up to an hour, maybe sometimes three hours. It just depends on the day, but probably uh, usually just a, a lift early. Um, and then throughout the day, just getting different shots, just, just shooting a lot of shots. So probably... Um, morning time, just a lift, and then after that, go in for a couple hours, get some shots up, take a break, go back, get some more shots up, and just normal, normal stuff. But I like to be intricate and, and very detailed when I'm working out. So, very nice. And so, if there's one dream team you could go to, who would that be? Dream team. Um, obviously, I would like to stay in LA. Um, you know, being that I'm from California, but I wouldn't mind playing for the Phoenix Suns either. Uh, I feel like they have a, a pretty good or organization and they're close to home also. And I feel like their coach allows their players to um, play and, and feel comfortable out there. So Devin Booker, huh? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Have you heard or talked to any NBA teams? I know a lot of people in the comments are asking, like, what's moving forward? Um, yeah, I've had a couple interviews, but I don't, I don't really want to talk about, you know, I was going to say, don't spoil it for anybody. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I definitely, uh, I've had a couple interviews with a couple teams and, um, some pretty, pretty good feedback. Great. Well, we're happy to get that. Well, Milan, thanks for hopping on. And we obviously don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know a lot of people were dropping things in the comments, excited for you and your future. So thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Rachel, a very insightful interview with Milan Aqua. Usually uh, basketball players, football players, whoever, aren't very forthcoming about the teams they would like to play for. But uh, Milan stating he'd like to play for the Phoenix Suns. For the Phoenix Suns. He wants to go play with Devin Booker over there. The Suns, 
had a good bubble experience for sure. Obviously not continuing on to the, where the playoffs are now, but they did have a good uh, bubble experience down in Orlando. So he would like to go out there or a California team, he said. So Lakers doesn't surprise me either, obviously with him being from there. But great conversation from Milan, and we wish him all the best in the upcoming uh, couple of months. I want to thank Milan for taking some time out. Also thanking uh, Mario Mocha, the director of athletics at New Mexico State, and Catherine Harston, uh, the New Mexico State swimmer, who's our WAC SAC president. And we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACSports.com.